morning, everyone. We're so delighted to have you back here with us at Woodlawn. I am Carmen Harper. I'm associate pastor here at Woodlawn, and I'm um, stepping in for Joe today as he takes the weekend off. So tomorrow is Labor Day, which is always celebrated on the first Monday in September. So Labor Day is the creation of the labor movement and is dedicated to the social and economic achievements of American workers. It constitutes a yearly national tribute to the contributions workers have made to the strength, prosperity, and well-being of our country. What is funny about that to me is that we celebrate our labor by taking the day off. That mindset reminds me of a study that I read recently. It said that American Work Week has been reduced by 25% since 1950. But it stated that 92% of the Americans surveyed were unhappy at their jobs. So we spend most of our time at work. So we are unhappy most of the time, according to this study. And it points out that we are searching for happiness in our work, but we're not finding it. So let's talk about someone who had a very hard job. Jesus. I can't imagine anyone facing demands that were as urgent or as important as Jesus. His lifespan on earth would be less than half of what ours is today. And he knew that. His job was leading him straight to the cross. He would spend only three years in ministry before he was crucified. Throughout his ministry, he was surrounded by needy people. The sick, the lame, those who were blind, hungry, and hurting. The Bible points out those times that he was so busy that he couldn't stop to eat. And when he tried to rest and people showed up that needed him, he was tugged at and pulled on from all sides. In the face of such demands, the scripture also refers to him going to, a part, to remove a part from where he was for a place of prayer renewal, and rest. When I feel victimized by my demanding schedule and self-pity starts to set in, I need to remind myself that I am not an innocent victim. I'm in control of my schedule, and I have allowed what has happened to happen to me. It is my responsibility and yours to find time apart for self and for family. If Jesus needed to do it and find time to do so, who were we to think that we are exempt? I know that once I have done so, it has a positive effect on my attitude and makes me appreciate my job even more. You see, a job can either be looked at as a burden or a blessing. If you don't find happiness in your job, then you're wasting your life because you're not doing what you were made to do. People describe life as the rat race, the fast lane. They talk about burning out. Sounds great, doesn't it? Do you know what happiness, unhappiness essentially is? It is not knowing what you want 
and then going out and killing yourself trying to get it. Americans are burning themselves out trying to reach the elusive that will never happen. We need to think, what is my job and why am I unhappy? The only way to be truly happy is to go about life and do what you've made for. And happiness will always follow you wherever you go. This is a great philosophy for life. A great number of people run around in circles chasing something that they will never attain. But if we do what God created us to do, happiness is sure to follow. So what is our job? The most important job of any Christian today is to be a witness for Jesus Christ and lead lost folks to him. You may work in an office and get paid for what you do there. But the first and most important job of your life is to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that you have and everything that you are is made available to you so that you can better do what God has called you to do. Your attitude to God's called work for your life will dramatically affect the results that you receive. One of the best places to serve God is in the church. But who among us really considers our service to God as our number one job? We should, and I'm going to show you through the scriptures why that is so. One, God provides our work, whatever it is. Our jobs are not something that we go out and obtain because we have some great skill set. Not really. You see, God has a place for us, and that is where we're ultimately going to end up. In Genesis 2.15, God gave Adam a job. It says, The Lord God took the man, put him into the Garden of Eden to work, and to take care of it. First, God created the workplace for Adam, and then he placed Adam there to do the work for which he had created him. If Adam had done the job, that God had given him without desiring to be more like God, the whole world might have been different. So you see, we don't really go out and find our jobs. God has a very specific one for each of us. He created each of us uniquely different. And there is no one in the sound of my voice who is exactly like anyone else in the world. Since God creates our jobs for us and gives us something to do so that our lives will have purpose, the greatest thing we can do is to have the mindset that our jobs are gifts to us from God. That makes a big difference in how you go about your days. I don't try to see how little I can get away with when Joe's not looking or how many days that I can take off Because I believe God gave me this job, and it is special to me. There's an old song written by a man named Johnny Paycheck, who is actually from my hometown. That is what Greenfield, Ohio is famous for. We are the birthplace of Johnny Paycheck. His most famous song is, Take This Job and Shove It. 
But if you really believe that work is from God and that he created you with special talents and gave you that job, you should sing this job, this song as take this job and love it. Because God has provided it just for us. And for that reason, it is special. So where is God leading you to serve him for the remainder of 2020? When is the last time you prayed and asked God what your number one job is? Whatever job we have and whatever, wherever it is, we need to remember it's been provided by God. And the Bible says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Secondly, God is present where I work. In the third chapter of Exodus, Moses was doing his job tending his flock of sheep, and God showed up there. The presence of God is found on our jobs as much as he is present in any other place in our lives. In fact, in the Bible, God showed up and appeared to more people while they were doing their job than he ever did while they were worshiping. Because God is not confined to an hour of worship on Sunday. He wants to constantly reveal himself to us. You remember that when God showed up to Moses in the burning bush, that Moses was tending his sheep. God chose that moment, not a moment where Moses was worshiping, to come to Moses and reveal to him that he had a job and it was to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. In that same way, David was at work delivering food and supplies to his brothers during the war when he was called to fight Goliath. Amos, the great prophet of the Old Testament, was tending trees when God called him to be a prophet. Matthew was sitting at a table as a traitor to his people, collecting taxes for the enemy when Jesus called him to be a disciple. Andrew and Peter were fishermen when Jesus came and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So does God speak to you in your work? Is his presence evident at your job? There was a man named Brother Lawrence who lived in a monastery for about 40 years. It wasn't his job to preach or teach or sing. See, he was tasked with washing the dishes, peeling the potatoes, and preparing the food. He wrote a devotional that said, I feel God's presence as much when I peel a potato or wash a dish as I do at any other time in my life. He went on to say, I feel God's presence as real when I'm cooking food as when I do when I'm kneeling at the altar to receive the sacraments. Brother Lawrence understood that his job was provided by God and God was present there. So do you feel God's presence at work as much as you do at church? Because he wants you to. Now three, there's a pattern of excellence in my job. Ephesians 6, 5 through 7 says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. 
Obey them not to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. So when you and I go to work this week, what we do is not just a service to our employer. It is an offering to our God. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God, says our scripture. The Christian ought to do excellent work. A lot of places have a quality control department. We as Christians should not need one. It should be the way we live our lives. Our work should be a cut above that of the unbeliever. Because we are not working for our employer, but for God. It's not just a paycheck. It is an offering to the one who created us. So, is there a pattern of excellence in your work? Now, that question reminds me of a joke I heard. A man went into his employer's office and he asked, when will my raise be effective? To which his boss responded, when you are. We all want more money. But what is the quality of our work? Another man went in to apply for a job and the manager hired him. The man asked, how much will I make? The manager said, I will pay you what you are worth. And the man exclaimed, but I can't live on that. What are you worth? One time, someone asked Ty Cobb why he was so great at playing baseball. Ty said, I practice hard all the time at the things that I do not do well. Now, a lot of ball players practice the things that they enjoy and that they, the things that they are good at. But Ty wanted excellence in his work. So what has God called you to do in the church? Will you do it excellently? My fourth point is there is a purpose to our work. If you ask the average person, what is the purpose behind the job, they will most likely say it is to make a living. I have to make money to take care of myself. Ephesians 4.28 tells us another purpose for our work. The Apostle Paul declares, but rather he must labor, speaking of man, performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. According to the Wall Street Journal, nobody ever earns enough money, and even when you get a raise, it's still not going to be enough. But the purpose of my work is not to get enough. It is to have something in order to share it with someone else. That is what the Word of God says. So one day, two men were out digging cross ties for the railroad. One of those little electric cars goes by and it has this man in a suit. And as he's passing by, he looks at one of the men and he says, Hey, Tom. And the worker looks back at him and he says, Hey, Bill. So the second worker looked and said, Tom, you know that fellow? Or Bill, you know that fellow? And Bill said, sure, that's William Haynes. He's the president of the railroad. 
The other worker says, but how do you know him? And he said, well, 25 years ago, he and I both started this job digging cross ties for the railroad. And his friend said, well, how come you're still digging cross ties and he's now the president of the company? And Bill said, well, I worked for $1.50 an hour. He worked for the railroad. Then he said something that resonated deeply with his friend. He said, people who know will always have a job, but they will always work for the people who know why. The Bible tells us the why. Because when God provides us with a job, it has a deeper purpose. Fifth, there is a payoff for my work. What is it? The check that I get every week? John 6, 27 records Jesus as saying, Do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For one, God the Father has placed the seal. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. The payoff for work is never money because no company can ever pay enough money for it to be a good payoff. The payoff is when I see my job as my mission field, where I'm not working for the bread that perishes, but I'm working for the things that are eternal. You see, it doesn't matter how much you try to accumulate because you can buy a bigger house, a nicer car, a boat, and then another house, but all that stuff is going to rot away and it will never bring you happiness. The real payoff is the work that we do and when you see your job as your mission and share with those around you the gospel of Jesus. I have never been with somebody at the end of their life when they said, I just wish I had worked more. But many say, if I had to do it all over again, I'd spend more time with my kids, my family. It all depends on where your values are. Let me tell you something that's shocking. If you or I died today, the company would replace you within a week or maybe two. But no one will ever replace you in your family. Nobody else can be hired to be the wife or husband or mother or daddy. Any position in this town, even the President of the United States, can be replaced in a matter of minutes. But a family member never can. The payoff comes not in how much money we're able to bring home or stick in the bank, but the payoff comes when the priorities, values, and things that are not just here like flowers and gone tomorrow, but those things that are going to go on for eternity. So let me ask you a question. I don't care how much money you make. What have you invested in heaven? Who's going to spend eternity there because something that you have done? Are you doing what God has called you into his service to do? Have you even asked him where he wants you to be? My number one job as a Christian is not in the office. It's in life. It's not just something I do to make a living. It's something I do to make a life of service to God. So what is my job?
That's a good question. Why don't you ask God to give you the answer? A man was waiting for a bus to take him from Athens, Georgia to Greenville, South Carolina. As he purchased the ticket, the agent said, the bus is running a little late. If you just watch the electronic letter board in the corner, you will know when your bus arrives and it's time to board. The man wandered around the terminal for a while. Eventually, he spotted a small computer that said, for 25 cents, this computer will tell you your name, age, city of residence, and something about you. That's impossible, the man thought to himself. Nevertheless, he pulled out a quarter and put it in the machine. The computer buzzed and whistled for a bit and then said, your name is Fred Jones. You are 35 years old. You live in Athens, Georgia, and you're on your way to Greenville, South Carolina. Incredible, exclaimed the man. How could this machine know that? The man glanced across the street and saw a novelty shop. He walked out of the bus terminal, crossed the street, and went into the store. There he purchased a pair of glasses with a large nose attached, a wig, a baggy costume shirt, and a cane. He was going to trick that machine. He then hobbled back across the street, acting like an elderly crippled man, and walked up to the computer. He put a coin in the slot. The computer buzzed and whistled and said, your name is Fred Jones. You're 35 years old. You're from Athens, Georgia. And while you were horsing around, you missed the bus to Greenville, South Carolina. Now, there's a moral to this story, and the moral is this. God calls you and me to be working and witnessing each day of our lives. But some of us spend our time watching and waiting for something to happen. Life is too short to be watching and waiting and horsing around. I hear about people from time to time who have sold their businesses and retired at a young age. Often after a few months of early retirement, they say something like, you can only play golf and go to the mall so many times before it becomes boring. What they're saying is that once they no longer had a job, they began to wish they had something meaningful to do. So what is my job? Ask God and he will tell you. Let's pray. Holy Father, we just thank you for this time of communion and this um, moment of grace where you commune with us and, and we get to partake of the, um, the visuals of being a, a member of Christ's body and for the work that he did for us on the cross. And we just thank you for that. And we just ask that you would um, be with us in this moment, that you will help us examine ourselves and make ourselves ready for this sacred time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.